Thanks. This is the first time I've ever been the keynote speaker. It's amazing. I'm excited. Is there extra anointing with the keynote speaker? Yeah, I want my wife to come up here. Give Sarah Ruth a big hand. Y'all having fun yet? It's so good to be here. It's always great to be part of this part of our River Life family. How many knew that there's another part of a River Life family down the interstate? God moves even in Chapel Hill. Yeah, it's true. Last Sunday, we just baptized three people, two of which were brand new born again believers. One woman is six years old, got delivered from alcoholism. She said, Matthew, I'm happy for the first time in my life. Raised Roman Catholic, her neighbors in our church led her to Christ and she got saved and baptized. You know, baptism was last week. So you just never know. And um, we're just so thankful you know, excited to be here and can't wait to see what God's going to do next. You know, so I wanted to start out with um, a dream that Sarah Ruth had a couple of nights ago. I'm excited. This is fun. We always love coming here. But I had a dream a couple nights ago and it, it was so thick with the presence of the Lord that as soon as I woke up, I realized it was like five o'clock in the morning, but I couldn't wait to wake Matthew up to tell him about it. And so I was like Uh tapping him and he did did not want to wake up. I was like, you've got to hear this. And then after I told him, I wanted to fall back asleep and fall back into the strong manifest presence of the Lord that I felt. But we were in this big house. It was a big gathering and there were lots of people packed into this house. And me and Jesse Early, actually, that's Jacob Early's, sister-in-law were trying to lead worship. She was on the keys and I was starting to lead worship and Becky was trying to help us with the sound and we were trying to lead worship and and it was good and and but it just was like we weren't breaking through. It was just like hmm, this is this is good and we could either keep trying or you know it was wild because there were like people just coming in. They were cramming into the house. And there were, there were famous people and they were bringing their families. And I think that maybe kind of got me flustered because there were these famous people in the room. But I, Jesse and I walked out to the backyard and we were just kind of like in this place of like, Lord, what do you want us to do? And, and Eddie James, which I don't know if some of you know him, but he is a powerful African-American worship leader. I mean, like. I've been in his worship sets, and it's just really powerful. He walked out the back door, and he said, let me see your set list. And I handed him the list of what we were singing. And he was just looking at it, and then all of a sudden it was like he just started singing to the Lord. And he started with this raw, repentant heart with the Lord. And this repentance just, it was like, boom, the Lord just came in. He, it was, he wasn't singing a song. It was just the, this repentance before the Lord just started to rise up. And I, I handed him the mic and I said, please, let's go in and just keep singing. You know, and he was like, I wasn't here to lead worship. I wasn't here. I said, I know, but would you just please start singing? And so he came back in and he just kept singing and the manifest presence of the Lord fell in that room so strong and so thick and and it was this through this repentance and I walked around the front you know how dreams are you can't really know everything about 
where you're at, but it was like I walked around to one of the front rows and Byron was sitting right there and he, he was just going, I had this dream and I'm trying to figure out what it, what it's meaning. But it was like, it was like that revelation. It was just like the Lord was giving us these dreams and this, and he was encountering us. And all of a sudden I looked out and there was a guy that I know, an African-American from, and there were lots of Afri- African-Americans in the room, like just full in the room. And they were famous people, and they were bringing their families. And this one guy that I know, he's a, he's a doctor. He's a surgeon um, in Chapel Hill. And he looked at me, and he was like, there's all these people that won't come because of they've, they've been told not to come because they're older. And I understand that, but I'm just so upset that they won't let us meet. And it was like that was about COVID. And then all of a sudden, I looked out the right this right window to the right and there was like a store a stairwell to come up to the front door and come in and I saw these African-Americans out the right door and then I saw these policemen and I kind of got nervous I felt this nervousness inside thinking oh the policemen are gonna come in here and we're not supposed to be doing this exactly and but it was just like the presence of the Lord came so strong I realized no they were just and then I was worried that there was some kind of clash going on and that there was you know, it's just all these feelings, and all of a sudden I saw, no, they're coming in because they're being drawn by the presence of the Lord. And all of that stuff, COVID, you know, it didn't matter because the presence of the Lord was so thick, and God was moving, and it was through this repentance. There was this repentance that fell, that broke through what we had normally tried to do, what Jesse and I were trying to do our normal, and it wasn't working. (laughs) I was like, God, move. All we're wanting to see is for you to move. There's these desperate people. And so I just woke up, and from the dream, I could just feel that, still that repentant heart, just just the, the, the... way it just cut through everything. And it was just like the tangible presence, the weighty glory. And I told him, and then I turned back over and was just like, oh, just let me get back into that place. I want to get back in that dream. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I just feel like a lot of us have repented enough to be saved and get to heaven, but not enough to see the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but how many just feel like, man, I want to repent right now. I just want to repent, Lord. I just want you to change and alter the way that I think about life, reality, God, other people, systems, the America, the world. Lord, shift my perspective that I can see something from your perspective, something greater. And a a couple of weeks ago, the Lord gave me this word, and I preached a version of it in in our church. And I want to just share another version here this morning because I really sense that God has prepared us at River Life for such a time as this. And at the end of worship, he reminded me of that scripture in in the book of Esther. And I don't have it on the screen because it just came to me. Just listen, Esther 414, it says this, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and the father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom, everybody say the kingdom, have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And the Lord said, Matthew, I want my people to shift from focus on all that and 
and remain focused on my kingdom. That's what I want to talk about this morning is focusing on the kingdom. Um, it seems like it was two months ago, but how many remember two weeks ago we celebrated the 4th of July? <laughs> Time is weird right now. Are you with me? It's like, well, that was only two weeks ago. Um, we celebrated the 4th of July and of course, 244 years ago, Thomas Jefferson penned these monumental words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as as I was reflecting on that, I realized, you know, we celebrate July 4th because that's when the declaration, think about the significance of that, a decree. Nothing happens in the kingdom without first a decree. It was decreed on July the 4th, but it was actually signed on July the 2nd. You might like, so what's the point? Well, hold on to that thought for a minute. It was signed on July the 2nd, which happens to be the same day in which the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was signed into law. And all men are created equal. We can take that to mean two different things. Some in our culture say that's the most hypocritical statement ever written. Others say it was a prophetic declaration. I believe that when Thomas Jefferson saw that, he saw something, even as Dr. King in the 1960s, he had a dream. It wasn't something that was yet, but it was something that he saw would come to be. Jefferson wrote something. People saw things that were not yet. They could see the glaring inconsistencies, even with what they were writing, yet they were declaring something that would become a reality. And on July the 2nd, the next layer of that reality for African Americans was signed into law with voting rights and some of those things that Jim Crow laws had had undone, right? So no matter whether we're yellow, brown, black, or white, we're all precious in God's sight. We sang that as kids. It reminded me up here. But also, whether you're a man or a woman, I mean, remember, ladies, 1919, until you got the right to vote. Robert was talking about that. 1919, I mean, that was, well, I think it was technically in the 1920s, so exactly 100 years ago. It also dawned on me this morning as I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, that was after the Spanish flu pandemic. Right on the heels of that, ladies finally got um, their right to vote. So not only do we all have a, a reason to celebrate, but we also have a reason to be thankful Amen. And um, I'd like to submit to you, though, that there would have been no declaration of independence without a first, a great awakening 40 years prior. I'd like to submit to you that there would have been no Civil Rights Act without first the Azusa Street revival of 1906 to 1910, where a one-eyed black man converted what had been used as a horse stable in order to host the presence of God. Because I'd like to submit to you that before freedom comes physically, freedom comes spiritually. It's always out of the glory of awakening that God awakens something and not just his church, starting with his church, but it goes out of the doors like kids reaching kids. How awesome is that? Like people who spent time rolling around on this floor from 06 to 09 and then got blasted out to Chapel Hill. 
like a cannonball, right, Jim? That's where these things happen. That's how the kingdom operates. However, I've realized this. I can choose what happens here. What happens here affects what happens here. What I like to think about creates my reality here. So therefore, when I'm, man, I'm so distracted by all of this, the kingdom grows smaller and smaller. But when I focus there and there and there, all these things begin, become dim. All that becomes brighter. You see the glory of Christ. It's rising up in the earth. This is a time, guys. This is our hour. It's not like there was the pinnacle of the book of Acts and it's gradually growing dimmer. Oh, Lord, until we can hold on and get to glory. No. The reality is it's the opposite. Jesus said, these things you will do and even greater because I'll pour out my spirit on you. It was exactly what Luis was saying and Dean prayed. This is exactly what's happening right now. Amen, Lord. Before the breakthrough comes, there comes a move of the spirit of God. We need to recognize that no law can change the heart of men and women. Only God can do that. And remember, God has done it. He's done it numerous times, multiple times, and he will continue to recollect because remember, biblically, it's always important and powerful to remember. Remember that in 1731, there was a very boring, monotone preacher up here talking like this. Please turn in your Bible. And despite his monotone lack of charisma, the Spirit of God fell in New England, of all places, God bless him, in New England, in Massachusetts, upon a congregational preacher named Jonathan Edwards. And unusual manifestations began to happen. People didn't just fall down. They stayed down for a week. Literally, I could show you documentation of people that were slain in the spirit or whatever you want to call it and were frozen at the front of the church for a week and came up recollecting of the glories of hell and seeing the horrors of he- um, the glories of heaven and seeing the horrors of hell and all in between and their destinies were birthed. Even Jonathan Edwards' own wife, this is a a really embarrassing thing for him to recollect, but they had very distinguished preachers come to oversee what was happening and make sure that it was legit. And so they were visiting them in their home, and all at once during the meal, the Spirit of God fell on Mrs. Edwards, and she began gurgling in her soup out in the Spirit of God. People were crawling around, making animal noises. I'm talking about... Man, that would offend us. I mean, I don't know. That would offend me. I would, it would be a stretch, right? Because as one preacher says, God always offends the mind to reveal the heart. But this is happening in the most conservative of conservative churches that you could imagine in the 1730s. Why? Because one of the three uh, results, reasons why the American Revolution for freedom and liberty happened was because first they got a glimpse of the freedom in Christ, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the great statesman like Patrick Henry could rise up in the Virginia House of Burgesses and say, I don't know what course others may hold, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. What is this resolve? I want to know, what is this? Where does it come from? I, where does it come from? Within the human heart, I'd like to submit to you, wasn't just some brave people. 
It wasn't just people who were centuries ago that had unusual bravery that we just don't have in our culture. I don't think so. I think the Spirit of God began to saturate them, began to marinate something. So 40 years before the revolution, can you bring me that bottle of water? There was the Great Awakening. Now, how many people, how far ago was 40 years from right now? All right, math majors, come on now. Yeah, 1980, right? Anybody remember 1980? For who any, (laughs) bad haircuts. Who had a mullet? Come on, guys, like, let's call it out. (laughs) Hey, you know mullets are back? Yeah. They're not back in Chapel Hill, but I hear in Mooresville they're back. They never left. (laughs) They never left NASCAR. That's probably true, Byron. I think you should rock one. Who thinks Byron should rock a mullet? Come on, Byron. Grow that hair out. What's left? (laughs) Bold. That's right. Bold and courageous. It's a company of Joshua's. Bold, not bald. I mean, the 1980s for some of you seem like yesterday. Think about that. I mean, how about the 70s? In the 70s, I was born in the early 70s, but so I don't necessarily personally remember these firsthand, but I've heard all the great stories and testimonies of the Jesus movement and the charismatic renewal. I've been reading a book recently by a man named Francis McNutt, who was born, he just died in January of this year at 94 years old. He was a Catholic priest, got baptized in the Holy Ghost in the night in 1963 and began to lead a charismatic movement of baptism in the Holy Spirit and healing, moved in healing powerfully all around the world for years and years. And he was mentored and became the best friend of a man named Tommy Tyson, who was a Methodist healing evangelist that founded the Aqueduct Conference Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, right down the street from me, that was a well of healing and revival in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are just some of the stories. I was a child of the, of the, of the 70s and 80s. And so I've inherited part of my destiny is what some of you paved the way for. I stand here on your coattails as another generation to take this thing farther, higher, and deeper in Christ. Amen. And what I'd like to submit to you also is that it's the same with the founders of the United States. They were children, 40 years, remember? It's not that long. They were children of a great awakening. We're talking about not just a revival that shook a church. We're talking about something that started in New England and affected all of the colonies at that time. It'd be hard-pressed to say that George Whitfield didn't, that almost everyone didn't at least hear a recollection of the great sermons that George Whitfield preached. Here's my main point. What we want to see God do Politically, in government, in entertainment, in education, God will do first from a place of spiritual revelation of his glory. God will do it first through an awakening of the hearts of his people that will impact culture. Like I said, not only must we focus on the kingdom, but we must demonstrate the kingdom. What did Jesus do? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He first preached the kingdom. Then he went out. 
and healed all the sick that they brought to him. It cast out all the demons. I read this morning the story of the dead little boy that they were at his funeral and Jesus interrupted the funeral. He was great at messing up funerals, wasn't he? He came in and he raised the boy and then John's disciples came and said, hey, John's in prison. He wants to know if you're really the one to come. And he's like, hey, tell him these things. The blind see, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the gospels preached to the poor. Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. He demonstrated the kingdom, but he didn't stop there. It's not like, hey, here's the, preach the kingdom. I'm going to do some kingdom stuff. Now you guys hold on until you get to glory. I'm going away. No, we know. I, you guys know. I mean, this is preaching to the choir at River Life. He said here, it's like running the, the relay race. We've got um, three guys in our church that are on the UNC track team, and they each run a leg of the 4 by 400 relay. Can't wait to see them run. Their season got canceled because of COVID. I have yet to see them run, but I know they got to be fast. And one day I was thinking, it's like the first leg runs, sets the pace, then the second leg grabs the baton, then the third leg, and then you've got the anchor leg. And Larry, I believe we're the anchor leg, brother. I believe we're the anchor leg. The baton's now been passed to my generation and my kids and my grandkids. And we're saying, the Lord's saying, run, boy, run faster, run harder, run for us, run. You know what I'm saying? Like grab the baton. What's the baton? The kingdom. What's the most important part of that race? It's the handoff. I never ran it myself, but I've watched YouTube videos. It's the handoff. If you mess up the handoff, you could be the fastest team out there, but you're not going to win. You've seen it in the Olympics. The, the front runners should win, and they drop it. Let's don't drop the baton. Let's don't drop the baton. What's the baton? The kingdom. We can erroneously think that pursuing the kingdom spiritually and impacting an area of culture are two different things, but they're not. From time to time, you know, obviously I'm called as a pastor to impact the church and to, to be that part of the kingdom. And from time to time, I have some people who are a little frustrated with me. I can just tell. It's not like they come to me like, I'm frustrated with you. No, they just, they sort of push on me in a way that's a little bit of a rub. And what the rub is, is that there, well, let's just say it this way. For an example, there could be a variety of different places that they're involved, but they're involved really a lot politically, okay? And so they want me to do certain things as a pastor in the church politically. And so they're pushing me and they're pushing me. And quite frankly, some of them I'm fine with, but others of those I'm a little uncomfortable with. And, and it's like, I respond to them like, in, and I've had these private conversations over coffee or lunch. Um, hey, yeah, man, I hear exactly what you're saying. I believe you're right. You know, I believe we agree. I want to support you, you know, and here's my approach. I believe that we're called first to the kingdom to release the kingdom and it filters down to all these things. And it's like, they look at me like, okay, pastor, you're distracted, you're like talking kingdom, 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 and like America's going to hell in a handbasket. Like, what's the deal here? And what I like to propose to you guys humbly is they are not two separate things. These are all one and the same thing. In fact, Jesus's methodology, you'll notice how many sermons did he preach against Roman oppression? 
I can show you many examples where he healed a Roman centurion's servant. Well, a few examples in the Bible. Oh, what's he doing? He knew a secret. That when you demonstrate the kingdom, it filters down and even creates an environment that infiltrates and affects the political climate. What? Oh, yeah, could have had a V8. Like, where did we miss this? Nobody's offended with me, right? Listen, I was raised in a very politically active family. My parents are still very much called to that. In fact, they told me the other day that there are going to be some at the polls overseeing ballots this year. Praise God. We need those people, right? Like, do that. That's part of the kingdom as much as Joe and Kim cheering on kids, reaching kids outside the walls of the church. Are you guys all right? Come on. My Byron version of that, are you having fun yet? Whew, it's like uh, we're in the home of NASCAR. That was always a little uncomfortable for me, to be honest. I was here almost 20 years, but I moved from the triangle where college basketball is king. And then you get around NASCAR and you're like just lost. I don't know what's going on, but I caught on a few things, especially for my family and Chuck and stuff. And remember back in the Mooresville Christian Academy days, Janet used to use this analogy that part of the purpose of education was getting kids race ready. How many of you remember that? I know Marlon remembers. Getting kids race ready. And so using the uh, racing analogy, it's like, you know, one of the whole purposes of the week before the big race, right, is to tweak that thing here and mess with the aerodynamics here and adjust that axle there or whatever it may be. And so in education, her perspective was that's part of what we're called to do. It's tweak that little bolt of thinking here and that little perception there and that reality about God there. And then when they graduate and go out into the world, they're going to be kingdom oriented people. And I feel like that's what God's doing with us right now is he's he's making us race ready. I feel like the whole quarantine season. Didn't you feel that? It was like the word I kept getting was cocoon. This isn't a restriction This is a glorification. This is a caterpillar that becomes a beautiful butterfly. God is preparing us for something, not holding us back from anything. If, everybody say if. If we focus on his kingdom, all these things will be taken care of. I love the verse where, um, and I don't have this on the screen either, but Acts 10, 38, it says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I often envision myself in that passage. And Matthew went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And Rhonda went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with her. And Corey Byron went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And Paula went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with her. And on and on and on. I feel like God's preparing all of us. He's called us. He's, this church has been prepared for decades now. 
to not only preach, but to demonstrate. Everybody say demonstrate. Tap your neighbor and say, that's you. He's talking to you. Because you know what happened when he sent out the 70 in Luke 10? What happened? They went out and they did the stuff. They moved in power. They healed the sick. They came back sort of shocked. They're like, Jesus, this stuff works. He's like, yeah, I know. It's pretty cool, isn't it? He's like, yeah, I mean, even the demons submitted to us in your name. He's like, yeah. You know, in fact, guys, while you were doing that, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You want to know what spiritual warfare looks like? It looks like that. It's about doing good. It's about going out there, delivering all who are pressed. And then principalities and powers literally fall. Who would like to see those fall over Mooresville? Cornelius, Huntersville, Chapel Hill, Durham, Raleigh, Carborough. How about principalities falling? Not because we're known for what we're against, but we're known for who we're for. That the kingdom is advancing. I'm not trying to hype. There goes that old evangelistic Matthew again. No, I'm not one of those guys. It's like, man, what are we doing in the church? We need to get out there. Why are we sitting in the church? You know, it's not that. It's just that there's something deep in you. There's a well that God wants to stir up this morning. I haven't even gotten to my text yet. Golly, it's Jim's fault. How many people believe that even the Supreme Court could be impacted by the demonstration of the kingdom? I mean, how much demonic activity do you think is going on around in our culture? It's a lot. The Bible says don't be unaware of the devil's schemes. The solution is focusing on the kingdom. All those seven mountains that people from Bill Bright to Lance Wall now have have popularized and preach and had revelation on. They are education, government, media, entertainment, business, family, and church. But here's the thing. Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. The kingdom's up here. Those seven things are down here. You focus here, and these things are filtered down and impacted. Does anybody in education here, raise your hand if you're in education. All right, about a half a dozen or so. Does the kingdom, Mandy, have anything to do with education? It has everything to do with education, doesn't it? In fact, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. You have no education without the kingdom. So apply that to law, to politics, to any business that you're involved in. But here's two mistakes that we're prone to, or at least I'll speak for myself. Is number one, there's a tendency to mistakenly think that the person next to me is supposed to be doing what I'm doing in the kingdom. No. How about, I got an idea. Why don't we all run in the lane that God's called us to run in? Not consider ourselves more highly than we ought, but cheer on that guy and that girl next to us and do what we're supposed to do and join together as the first Corinthians 12 body of Christ where every joint supplies. That's not just for operation in the church is what I feel like. That's for operation in culture. This is how revival goes beyond just good meetings. This is how revival turns into awakening. It's when good meetings impact all of culture. 
we're all, we, who's got a job in here? If you don't, we'll pray for you afterwards, right? You're all out there in one of these seven mountains of influence of culture. The second mistake is if we're not careful, the tendency is to become more influenced by the culture that you are attempting to reach rather than vice versa. I've seen friends who like in, in entertainment, they went into the music industry with a good heart and idea. And I feel like a legitimate call to influence that industry, but little by little, it started happening the other way around. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, listen, (laughs) yeah, me too. But listen, guys, um, here's what Jesus said. Again, I don't have this on the screen. <laughs> I'm just throw all the notes out. Um, in Mark 3, 5, he just healed the withered-handed man on the Sabbath. You remember that one? And um, he said, um, hold out your hand. So the man held his hand out, and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with supporters of Herod, to plot how to kill Jesus. Wait, the Pharisees went and allied with the Herodians? Wait, I think I've seen that somewhere before. Jesus said, hey, watch the witness of your spirit. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is unbelief, and the leaven of Herod, which is a political stronghold. Well, in this passage, in response to Jesus' demonstration of the kingdom, those two became allies. They were traditional enemies. They became allies. Does that sound familiar? He also said in Matthew 9, 14, this isn't on the screen either. Sorry about whoever's on the computer trying to follow along. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. That's not a fun scripture to preach on. I don't like preaching sermons on that scripture. In our households today, we've got Trump and never Trumpers in the same party. We've got masks or no masks. It's COVID or it's a worldwide conspiracy. Hello, I'm just being honest. In Jesus' day, and I won't take time to go to Matthew 9, but they came to him like, hey, Jesus, what's up with this? Because... John, these are John's followers, John the Baptist. Like, John's followers, we, we fast. But your guys over here, um, last time I checked, they didn't fast a day in their life. You know what this, how did Jesus answer that? He said, well, in a, in a nutshell, there's a new wineskin. They'll fast when the bridegroom is taken away, but while the bride's here, He said, there's a new wineskin, and I think we're in a season where we can't afford to be divided. We're in a season where we've been forced in a lot of situations to step into a new wineskin. Will you receive it? How many people have noticed a massive strongholds of fear and division among us? I'm not just talking about between us and the big bad world out there. I'm talking about between us. What if we spent less time on Facebook and more time before the Lord, sitting with him about his heart for the nations? Because he said in Psalm 2, ask me and I'll give you a nation. Whew. All right, I'm going to start preaching now. 
Just kidding. I got about seven minutes. As my spiritual, I guess it'd be a great grandfather now, Arthur Burt, would say, watch the witness of the spirit. Is it the leaven of Herod or the Pharisees, or is it the leaven of the kingdom? Because remember, there is a third type of leaven that Jesus talked about. He said, it's a little seed. It's, it's a little bit. Those who, who, any bakers in here? You know how yeast works, right? Just a little yeast, and it makes that dough rise. It starts with a little nugget, and it begins to rise. And before you know it, it becomes massive. It takes over. And that's the season that we're in, church. Stay in focus on the kingdom. Real quick, turn to Mark 9. I got five minutes or so, give or take, seven or eight. This is a glory chapter. Remember at the beginning of it was the Mount of Transfiguration. Who loves to just read that? And I like to put myself in there. Like Peter, James, and John, they're up there. Moses, and these dead guys show up. Like, what's happening? Many theologians think it's like Moses the law and Elijah the prophets, Jesus the fulfillment, right? And they're having this glorious time. And then they come down, and wouldn't you know it, all hell's breaking loose. I mean, literally, the other nine disciples are left down off the mountain, bless their hearts. They haven't been in the glory zone. And there's a demonized boy and his dad that they can't get free. And they're like, what's going on? Verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What's all this arguing about, Jesus asked. Hmm, maybe that could have something to do with us. What are we all arguing about anyway? Maybe, again, the Lord has some secrets to reveal to us about his kingdom that aren't being posted out there. Listen, a a prophetic woman in my church just sent me this the other day. This is just a piece from what she sent me, but I want you to hear this because this is for this church. The Lord is on the baby boomer generation right now for this season. The Lord said that the 60 plus generation, who's over 60 in here? Raise your hand. You're not over 60? Whew. Feels, okay, some of you, not all of you, but some of you feel that you're, that you're not significant in this moment or this movement, but you are the ones with lamps full of oil, Cheryl Grunau. Your lamp is overflowing with oil. There's just more and more oil. In fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if you start experiencing a physical manifestation of oil on your hands, on your body, just the oil of God. You guys are the encouragers. That's the spirit of prophecy in the New Testament. You're the encouragers. As you encourage, the water rises. I need you. I need you. Don't stop prophesying. The coaches and mentors of the spiritual awakening will run full force training up the new recruits. The older generation is here to fuel the fire. Your lamps will not run low as long as we are standing in the gap. Verse 17, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. 
And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Has anybody ever been in a similar predicament? Man, you know this person's supposed to be healed or whatever the case is or delivered, but you just can't figure it out. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Now, I'm going to use a little prophetic license in this story. Is that okay? Prophetically, I believe this boy represents our nation during this season. Our culture has these major issues and problems. Like this boy, it's choking him. I'm just going to say, the culture's saying, I can't breathe. And many of us in the church know that something needs to be done. Like these nine disciples. But we can't figure out exactly what to do. That's why I wanted her to share the dream. Because I feel like her and Jesse... They, weren't, they couldn't quite figure it out. But Eddie James, representing the Lord, comes in and says, here, do this. And the kingdom breaks out. One person on social media prophesies one thing, and then I'm confused because I watch another prophet, and they prophesy the opposite. And all God's people said, huh? In order to follow the witness of the Spirit, It requires this, as Byron exhorts us, check your opinions at the door. I'm not talking about this door. I'm talking about the door of your heart. We all have opinions. I laugh when people say they're an unbiased media source. There's no such thing. Everyone was born with a bias and everyone will die with a bias. A bias is not wrong. So we're naive if we think that we don't have opinions. But in order to see and demonstrate the kingdom, what Jesus taught us is to check our opinions in order for something greater. Bob Jones, if you'll remember, I remember one time I heard him say this. Maybe you remember it too. He was once asked if he had a prophetic word on a certain situation in America. He replied, no, not yet because I already have an opinion about it. Wisdom is calling. Can you hear it? Will you love her more than being right? Verse 21, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied with tears in his face since he was a little boy. Guys, whether we agree or we like it or we're aware of it, these problems in America of abortion and racism and all of these things, you know the list, they've been going on for a long, long time. I'm going to say it. They're systemic. Why? Because sin is systemic. The spirit often throws him into the fire, into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus shakes his head and wipes his brow. What do you mean, if I can? 
Jesus asked, and I think we sang this in one of the songs, anything is possible if a person believes. What is the Father's tone with America today? It led to this favorite statement by Jesus of mine, anything is possible for he who believes. How many are praying for your town and state? I've already asked you that question. How many believe that America is not through yet? How many believe that the grace on which he founded us is the same grace that will continue to take the gospel to the utter ends of the earth? Can a country be born in a day? Can a country be born again in a day? I was reminded this week of, I remember years ago, uh, Judy Ball coming back and telling us about she'd been to Fiji. And back in 2004, they had had a coup in their government. They had been in chaos politically, culturally. I mean, the devil was ruling that Pacific island. And the new prime minister stood up and said, I repent. I give my life to Jesus and a national revival broke out that even spread to, I believe it was Tom Melinde who took it to Uganda in 2004. There might've been some interplay there. Anyway, can a nation be born in a day? Yes. Can a nation be born again in a day? Yes. Just as quickly on the evening news as we see everything falling apart, God will turn things around. Are you guys okay? All right, I got to end. Verse 24, I'm almost through here. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. How many people have ever prayed that prayer? That's a good prayer to pray, by the way. Don't stop praying it if that's where you are because it's honest. Be honest with God. Peel off the religion. Peel off the pretense. I see you, Gabe. Peel off the fear. Time's about up. But get real with God, Gabe. That just fit right in there. You gave me great illustration. <laughs> Another Arthur Burtism, deal with the lie and come on, deal with the lie and fear will die. This isn't a time to be afraid. Just go read John 14 through 17. You need, some of you need to chew on those four chapters for about a month. Just read nothing but those. Subtly seeming unmet expectations, like in this guy's, this father, had led to some disappointment. Disappointment led him to disillusionment that even his son would be healed or could be healed. And then finally, disillusionment had led to unbelief but God. But then he came face to face with Jesus of Nazareth. I remember praying for years and years as a young Christian that God would end abortion, the abortion holocaust in America. I remember being, we just passed the anniversary of 7707. Who remembers that? Was anybody in this room in the Titans football stadium? All right. There, you remember that? I remember being with those with red tape, with life over their mouth. Who did that? I remember hearing stories about Dean getting arrested, you know, and then that kind of thing. Um, uh, picketing abortion clinics and all these things. And all of those were good things. But I remember subtly this disillusionment creeping over my heart and I found myself praying on 770 saying, God, end abortion, send revival to America. God, end. and little by little, I'm just being honest, a little bit of disillusionment had crept over my heart. 
but God. As I focus on the kingdom, we put our entire attention on the kingdom. What did Jesus say to the man? He said this. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers were growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you. Say, I command you. I command you. Come out. Come out. Come out of this child and never enter him again. There's an authority coming out of this church. There's an authority rising up out of God's church. The command is the will of God. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left the boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. The boy appeared to be dead, right? But Jesus raised him up afterward when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples. They asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, because this kind can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. Two things. The boy appeared to be dead, but how many know that things are not always what they appear to be? Things are not always what they seem. I've noticed that a report on any, you take your pick of any local, any national news channel. I watch the report and say, hmm, things don't appear to be exactly like that. Things aren't always what they seem to be. And secondly, when Jesus said, okay, here's how you get rid of this. Here's how you deal with it. Prayer and fasting. It's the kingdom. What type of the kingdom? Not just preaching, but demonstrating. It was Eddie James. It was worship. What did worship? It's the gateway to the kingdom. It's a focus on the kingdom. So finally, how do we do this practically? How do we focus on the kingdom? I don't know about you. Let me just speak for myself. Practically. First thing I do in the morning, I'm going to not click on the Twitter app, but I click on the Bible app. Or open your physical Bible and your journal. I use a digital journal. I really want to plug journaling right now. Okay, because as you journal, you start to process. It's harder for guys sometimes and ladies, but God bless us, guys. It's harder to process. If you need some more instruction on that, see Selwyn Lang. She's got tons of stuff on journaling. It's been a big part of her life. I know that. That's why I'm picking on her. But as we do this, as we begin to marinate, guess what happens? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Like, why, why am I so happy right now? Why am I so optimistic? The kingdom. I'm sure there's many other practicals. I'll let whoever wants to close this come on up, but I want to pray for those over 60, if you guys would just stand, because I feel a particular unction on this. Holy Spirit, come right now. Lord, I thank you for the generals in this room, God, that you've equipped and you've trained for years and years, for decades, Lord. Some of these had great grandparents that were a part of Voice of Healing and were a part of some of the early revivals of the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. Lord, some of these have generations of engineers that saw something different in their career. Lord, I pray right now that you would bring to, to their spiritual renewal the life of heaven and the light of God. Just shine on them today. 
Woo, just more Holy Spirit. Just get them real good. Let fire and anointing and oil pour down over them. God, I pray that you give them an uncanny supernatural ability to see the kingdom and hear it, to see and hear the kingdom and know how to respond, know what to do with that information. Thank you, Lord.